Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back. This is now the eighth time that we have tried to record this intro because Melissa has an absolute giggle box right now, but <laughs> I have decided to take over this wheel and start driving, um, for the <laughs> intro. But, uh, if you are listening to this, we're, we're about to start into Exodus chapter eight, but you have to stop everything that you're doing right now and pull over to the side of the road if you are driving uh, or, you know, if you're if you're running, you need to stop immediately and rate this podcast. Please, for the love, uh, give, a, give a rating, leave a review. It really does help with us as we're trying to, um, you know, be searchable for if somebody wants to go learn about Ruth or Esther or... Uh, Nahum or Exodus that we're studying right now. We want them to, this podcast to come up so that they can they can grow deeper with us as we uh, as we get into the scriptures and maybe learn to be excited about the scriptures the way that we are and the way that maybe you are too. That's our hope for it. And uh, so please just stop, uh, leave a review and and rate the podcast. Uh, you can do that through through Apple Podcasts, or if you have the ability to do that through whatever you listen to this on, please, please, please go do that. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to have a question from Miss Brianna, and we're going to have uh, her husband, Spencer, has uh, given us his scripture that is really impactful to him. So here is Miss Brianna. What's the craziest thing that you've ever done? Okay, now that I have composed myself and, it's about time. and I am able to come back to the podcast. Um, Just picture say, you're driving down the road and she has, she has the wheel. She starts losing complete control and I have climbed over and I have taken the wheel from her. And now she's starting to compose herself and I'm going to go back to the passenger seat where I belong. That's kind of what I mean. I yeah. couldn't get through, which it's really <laughs> funny because... We were just telling Kate and Tori how we, like, never re-record, never have to re-record stuff. Like, yeah. if we mess up, we just, like, oh, well, you know. Yeah. And then here we are. Okay. So, back okay. to Brianna's question. Back to Brianna's question. Okay. Um, so, for me, I'm not, I'm generally don't do crazy things. Uh, just Like, jump out of airplanes, Brianna. Yeah, like that. Perfectly good airplanes. And um, so, this one originally was kind of hard for me to think of something, just because I'm just not that, I just, I don't, I play it safe a lot, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Um, but I would say, probably, last year when we went to Colorado, um, was probably the craziest thing I've ever done in terms of, like, 
Sadie was nine months old and Caleb was three. And, I mean, just, like, traveling out there with them on the, like, getting them on the plane, which I don't like to fly and, like... Yeah, Just it would before we had kids. Of getting them out there. Yeah, we had all the time in the world to travel, and there was no way that I was going to get her on a plane. No, and which is crazy. And now that we have kids, and we had a three year old and and a less than one year old. Yeah, and a eight month. Yeah, yeah. Was she eight months or something? Eight or nine months. Uh, you would you were willing to get on a plane, which and, was insane. I mean, like. Sadie, we didn't even buy her, like, a separate ticket. She was right. just in our laps the whole like time. Right along. And it was just so, like, cramped. We were just, like, sweating the whole time, basically, just trying to get there. And then once we got there, we did one of, like, well, it wasn't the hardest hike, but it was a tough hike. I went a little bit overboard on what yeah. I thought we could do. I mean, it would have been it would have been fine probably if it had just been me and Garrett. I mean, it still had its tough parts because oh, it's we like would have been fine. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it still. But when would you have, have a three year old that's not in the backpack. Yeah, uh, so Sadie was in a backpack, and then we, um, you know, we're trudging through these snowy mountains. Yeah. <laughs> with a three year old. Yeah, there was still plenty of snow on the ground, and he is like every step, like falling through the snow or. or and he he had a great time to start, and then it he hated snow. Well. <laughs> yeah, and well, and it got really bright outside, and the like the snow was reflecting off the ground and into his eyes and stuff, and like yeah. he was freaking out about that. And it was really bright. Like I didn't want to give my sunglasses to him because I was like, yeah, it is really bright. Yeah. Plus, he was just mad, so you didn't know if he was just gonna like chuck him like you know? like he did spider-man yeah although that wasn't out of anger he he threw a one of his spider-man toys into one of the creeks uh in rocky mountain national park and, and he just wanted to know what would happen <laughs> and it, we'd learned uh spider-man floated off and he is somewhere in the wilderness now or maybe in the bear of a belly yeah i mean the, the bear of a belly? <laughs> belly what is the bear of the, a belly the belly of a bear <laughs> <laughs> yes, because bears just tend to eat random Spider-Man toys. Maybe on accident. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was that was interesting. Um, that was just that was just crazy for me to be like, yes, it's time for us to go to Colorado and do these crazy adventures with the kids. Um, that just was like, that was kind of out there for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, I think for me. Um, I'm definitely much more adventurous, but I am I'm I'm still not a super risky person. I'm probably not going to jump out of an airplane anytime soon. Um but <clears throat> I would say um well, I uh, there's some things whenever I started working for TVA that were some they were kind of crazy to me whenever I because I mean, they had me crawling in all kinds of holes that were just yeah, it was a surreal experience from an engineering standpoint because it was a lot like a lot of equipment that I had theoretically learned about and they're they're basically like, Hey Garrett, we need you to crawl in that hole and stand on that two before and they had me like put these like little putty things on these big blades for turbines and all I did for, for about three days straight was put like a piece of putty on a blade and hit it with a hammer. And then they would do like some analysis outside of it, but they basically had me crawl in like a twelve inch hole, and uh, and I get down on this um, two by four, and it's just like watery depth, like death depths below me, 
And, you know, and I'm, like, harnessed up and stuff like that. But I was, like, scared of heights at the time. And lots of just really crazy. That was kind of crazy to me doing that and just all the energy and uh, the power associated with power plants. Um, That was pretty wild. I mean, no, really. Like, there's everything is going through that plant. And all of that power is being harnessed. Yeah. Um, and so you're you know, you're doing that kind of stuff, crawling in these big holes. But I would say, like, the craziest thing that I've done uh, that somebody might would look at me and be like, what in the world? You're, you are, you're a crazy person. It's probably the fireball. And I've talked about the fireball in here, I think, one time. And that my family, um, we, there's just a tradition that goes back in my family of throwing the fireball and what it is is basically like a really uh tightly wound softball size uh yarn ball uh i mean it's not like loose it's like a hard rock hard ball um of uh like yarn and you soak it in kerosene for three to six months and you light it on fire one night and your family throws it around and so when you do that it's it's absolutely incredible. I love doing it. I would do it anytime anytime that comes around. It's been a long time since I've been able to do it. But, you know, you're in the you're like in this open field. It's pitch dark outside. All you can see is just this blazing ball of fire and you're throwing it to one another and you can just hear it as it goes through the air. It's like with the Katie dids in the background, the hot summer night and it's just Sorry. Why does this stuff always happen to me? Um, This is going really well tonight. I know. Um, Siri just decided that I was probably, she thought I was talking to her. But anyways, so (laughs) I'd say like if anybody ever saw me do the fireball, like you catch it in the midair too. So you're like, and you kind of toss it hand to hand and you throw it to the next person. If you saw somebody doing it, you'd just be like, man, these people are morons. And we probably are, but it was, it's just, man, it is a lot of fun. Once you realize it's not like burning you just right. I mean, if you just held it in your hand, it would definitely burn you. But all it does is just singe all the hair off your arm. And that's all it does. <laughs> that's all it's it does. Fine. That's the only thing is like, don't catch it with your head. Um, but, <laughs> but it, it is a absolute blast throwing the fireball. That is something I miss that so much. Um, I've done it twice um but it it is a family tradition that i absolutely love and i I don't know how to make one if i knew how to make one i'd make it but i think it takes a lot of time and effort to put those things together we would get two or three at a time and you'd basically you basically get like 10 to 15 minutes out of one fireball and Mm -hmm. uh and throwing it to each other so that's just an absolute blast doing that kind of thing so um with that, we're going to transition into uh, into Spencer's um, scripture. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This verse represents what I've been feeling lately with everything going on in our house because um, it seems like every new little project that we do, we think it's going to be like really awesome and exciting and fulfilling. And then after, you know, a couple of days of it being done, you kind of forget about it and it doesn't mean that much anymore. And uh, I guess just need to 
spend more time focusing on God's word and um, things that are of him because uh, that's fulfillment that lasts and that will actually make you happy instead of um, just pretend happiness. I love what Spencer is talking about here of just like trying to refocus and reprioritize the like the little things that um, really stress us out that just don't really matter because those things kind of all fade away and um, and kind of trying to refocus and, and doing the things that we're trying to do here of, you know, digging into scripture and learning more about the full story of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of times I, you know, they Spencer was talking about how they were, um, they're doing a lot of remodeling to their yeah, house. Yeah, if you don't know, I mean, they basically, they had to do all kinds of work to their house uh, in order, you know, to get it to where they want it to be. And they've done a ton of work and everything's really starting to look good, I think, for them. And, you know, they show, I, I remember seeing pictures of their kitchen and stuff and all the work that they're doing in there and making it look really nice. And so a lot of, a lot of work and time and stuff that they're putting into their home. And and so when you're putting that energy into something, anything, a project, especially like one that's like working on your home, I know just from even we had, we hired someone to paint for us and how mm-hmm. stressful just like picking a color was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, you know, you put a lot of energy and focus on that. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Um, not to say that your stuff doesn't matter. Not, well, I mean, but in yeah. the scheme of things, you know, if I didn't pick the right shade of gray yeah. for our house, it's... Right, it's not the end of the it's world. It's not the end of the world, yeah. but sometimes I think in my own head, I treat it like the end of the world. Yeah, and that's that's kind of how... When we did paint, that was something that did happen, was that, you know, like, you got home, and we were looking at it, and we were like... It basically... I could see it in Melissa's face. She's like, I hate it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is... You know, we just spent over you know, at least over a thousand dollars on this, and and she hates the paint, and it, you know you start being like, and you you got to the point you were like, I've ruined everything. Yeah, well, and, I think I just didn't like the idea yeah. of like, okay, if we want to sell our house, did we just like devalue it? Right, which but, it wasn't the case at all. No, it's just that you kind of started you know rolling in that direction and thinking everything was bad. And, you know, and it was really, and actually, we, we really like it now. Yeah, I, re- I love it now. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, just give it funny. some time. Let's it's, see how it does. It's because we went from, like, yeah. a dark gold to this light gray. that right. it was just, it took me some, like, adjustment yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, just how we tend to elevate things in our head that are not that important yeah. um, to something way too like we give more importance to things than we really yeah, should absolutely. allow yeah and um so i i like this idea of just remembering the things that don't you know re- putting things in their right place prioritizing things in the right way of recognizing uh you know it kind of reminds me of you know like beauty fades mm-hmm. kind of sure. idea um And focusing more on, like, your heart and your relationships and stuff like that. And so um, I think that's just a good reminder for all of us to kind of put things in their proper standing and try to keep things in perspective. Yeah. I I like to read this uh, little section six through eight. Uh, What what Spencer looked at was verse eight. And I just think it, it really fills out the idea here. A voice is calling, quote, call. 
And he said, what shall I call? All humankind are like grass, and all his loyalty is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers, the flowers wither. When the breath of Yahweh blows, surely the people are grass. Grass withers, the flower withers, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so whenever you look at that and you can see the repetition in it and how, how so grass withers, the flower withers, all of that is compared to humans. You know, we're such a brief moment. Um, and, and even like the things that we put trust in for other people, those things are fleeting. It says that their hesed is like the flowers of the field that, that go away. And also think, I mean, I have to think that Jesus is very much keying in on this, like consider the lilies of the field kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but anyways, I, I, I think it's like we put, we do put our, our trust and hope sometimes in other people. Um, and the point here is that, you know, put, put your, um, your hope in the Ruach of God, of Yahweh, the breath of God, Mm -hmm. uh, the breath of Yahweh is as he blows on it. That's the very, uh, taking you back to Genesis chapter one. Um, but to put your hope in the word of God and his spirit. And so I, I just, I think that's really cool. I love that little poem. And, um, I think it, there's so much that can be looked at there it really intrigues me um so yeah thank you spencer for um for sending you know that in and uh, and letting us know you know kind of where you are right now and i know that you guys are you know you guys are working hard on your house and you know it is and you know it, it's something that's cool for you guys and i would say the probably the the coolest part of it is actually the relationship that you and brianna might build up through it and kind of building something together. Yeah. Um, and that's Creating probably, memories. that's the thing that doesn't wither, mm-hmm. you know, this, yeah. this relationship and, uh, that you build up and the confidence that you get and being able to do those things and know you guys are confident anyways. But whenever you complete things like that, it is kind of like a, wow, I didn't really know that I could do that. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get to the end and you're like, wow, you know, that, that's the benefit from it even. And then, you know, and then you get to see your work. You're like, ah, oh, you know, and you mm-hmm. take your rest in your work. Um, yeah. And um, so I think that's really cool. I'm, I'm, you know, really jealous of being, you, you guys being able to do so much work in the home. I, that's something that I feel like I really lack is the ability to do like handiwork and things like that. Um, and so whenever I see other people that can do it, I'm kind of, kind of jealous of it. So anyways, thank you for, for sending that in. So we're going to, we're going to get back in, into, um, Jump into Exodus chapter eight, just to, as a as a brief reminder, um, where we left off. Uh, we we started the plagues, or as you call them, plagues. Well, that um, was in one of our different versions yeah, I know, of the intro. But, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> as you call them, plagues. Um, I think plagues. I'm sure somebody else out there calls them plagues, plagues. but I call them plagues. But <laughs> it's like a it's like a mix between play legs. You know, or something like that. Pl- plagues. Anyways, yeah. so we started off the the plagues uh, with the first one of turning the Nile River into blood, and just highlighted how, um, you know, the Nile was what they they worshipped the Nile. That was like the um, that brought life to the to the valley. That brought life to Egypt. You can. Uh, I watched some stuff on Right Now Media the other day, and 
you can see whenever you, whenever you go to Egypt, you can see where, you know, how the Nile would flood and stuff like that and the fertile soil that it would create. There is a visible line of green and then death <laughs> of where the, where the Nile would keep things fertile. And so, you know, whenever it would flood, it would keep, keep things going and make it so that they could actually have life. The Nile was the reason Egypt was where it was and that it was so powerful was because of how much food they could produce. And so whenever there's an attack on the Nile and it, they can't change it back, um, it's a big deal. And, and that was something that we highlighted. It was like they created, they just created more blood out of the water. And it's just kind of like, if you really wanted to show your power, you would change it back. Stop making more blood. Um, and that's what the magicians do instead is just make more blood. And, um, and so we ended the, you know, started this, this plague and it says in seven days passed after Yahweh shook the Nile. And so we're going to begin this first section here as we move into the second plague. So you want to start reading? Sure. Um, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials, and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and, Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Yeah, so we, man, there was a lot that just transpired in that narrative. Um, <clears throat> but it starts out with Yahweh going to Moses, or, or, uh, and he tells him, Go say to him, Thus says Yahweh, and we've heard this before, of release my people so that they may serve me. And it's a command. He's going to him and giving him the same command that he gave him from the beginning. Thus says Yahweh, release my people so that they may serve me. And um, and, and we don't really get um, the, the interaction. Um, the, you just assume that it happens. Um, because it doesn't say, oh, and then Moses went to Pharaoh. You just assume that this, mm -hmm. this actually transpires. But he tells him, here's the consequences if you don't listen. 
he gives him the consequences. If you don't let them come out, then you're going to be you know stricken with this plague of frogs. Um, and so the the frogs become um, really um, important be, because um, this represents another god. Just like the Nile was their god, uh, so this represents another god. It, primarily their uh, fer- fertility god. Um, John Salehammer uh, writes this. Um, along with most creatures in the natural world, the, f- the frog was worshipped by the ancient Egyptians. They considered it to be the giver of the breath of life, and thus it became a symbol of life. At the word of Moses, at the word of Moses's God, the frogs overwhelmed the Egyptians, and Pharaoh had to plead with Moses to have them removed. And so, anyways, I, I just want to highlight that this is another showdown between gods, and um, and Yahweh is showing his power over creation, over the this this God of Egypt that is their bringer of life, their fertility God, um, that that they worship and, and, and look to for that type of thing. And so, um, it seems that all of, all of this creation, it both, in both cases, both the, the Nile and with the frogs, it's like all of creation is working for Yahweh in one way or another. And so he, he's using creation to, you know, to do his will and to execute his judgment against, against Pharaoh. So do you have, you have any other thoughts on this, the beginning section? Um, I think that it's important to note that this request of letting my people go is still just like the three days mm-hmm. um, to go and, and worship the <clears throat> Lord. Um, I think that generally when I've thought about this story, I've thought of it being like every time asking to like free the people entirely, um, but that's not what they're asking for. Right. It's still the minimal request. Yes. Of let us go out into the desert for three days and, and make sacrifices to our God. And so it's still a very simple request. But the simple request highlights the incredible stubbornness of Pharaoh. And yes. and if you could see the wilderness, uh, the picture of what this would be like, there's almost a surety that if they go out to the wilderness, they're coming back. Um, because mm-hmm. you don't go out to the wilderness to have life. Um, you don't flourish there. You don't survive out there. They're going to, if, if they go out to the wilderness, they have no other options other than returning, especially this huge group of people. And so it's not an option. It's, it's like a legitimate request in in Pharaoh's mind, it makes sense. They're going to go out and they're going to sacrifice to to their God, but they're, they have no other option than they're coming back because we're the source of their life in his mind. We're the source of their life, but still, he, he's still being stubborn, even though it's an easy request. Um, so, um, do you have any other thoughts on that? That's just my main thing. I okay. mean, I, I well, I guess we did talk about, too, how I know you were talking about the frogs being another idol, but just thinking about how this would be affecting, like, the cleanliness mm-hmm. of things and, like, their cooking and how they're in all these places, yeah. and just how like gross that would it's, be. It's a. It's not like a. It's not a. Family movie where it's like, oh, all of a sudden there's a frog in the drawer, and then yeah. oh, there's a cute another frog over here. No, this was a real problem that yeah. affected their public, you know, their their um, sanitary lifestyle. You know that they're right. they're. It's affecting whether or not you know their rotting bodies 
not only send up a horrible odor, but they also pose a public uh, health catastrophe. Right. Is is what Peter Enns would write, and it, it's a it's a big deal. I think we tend to character caricature them to be like, oh, these aren't these are kind of nuance nuance. A nuisance. A nuisance. Yeah, mm-hmm. I made fun of you for the th- words that you say. I, words I only, I, can't I, only say. <laughs> I only deserve that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, anyways, they're they're not just a nuisance. They're actually like posing a threat to their life. Right. Um, and and so that that's kind of a big deal. Uh, he also writes in here in his in his commentary the chaotic behaviors of animals in these plagues is God's measured unleashing of anti creation forces on the helpless Egyptians. In this respect, the use of the Hebrew term saras, to team, also calls to mind creation in Genesis. The teaming of God's creatures was originally something good, something that exhibited God's creative work, but now this chaotic teeming mass of frogs is a destructive abundance. So the what he's what he's talking about, he's like, go back to Genesis chapter one and all the animals that team together. Is that you know the 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 fish team in the sea and kind of thing? They're they're schooling together or whatever. Lots of of abundant abundant life, and now they're still teeming and they're still underneath the will of Yahweh, but they're more chaotic than controlled, and they're executing uh, they're executing God's will uh, in this case, and um, and using what was intended to be good. Now that's being used against Pharaoh to execute justice. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that, that that is really interesting. Um, <clears throat> so one thing we didn't point out last week, and this is a, this is a repetition, whenever um, Aaron goes out to the waters, he's told to stretch out his hand. And before that, Yahweh said, I will stretch out my hand. And then here we have uh, Yahweh said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand, with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and bring up the frogs of the land of Egypt. And then Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs went up and covered the land of Egypt. So the question is, is who's reaching out their hand? Yahweh said that he was going to reach out his hand. Is Yahweh not reaching out his hand? Uh, or is he, is it just Aaron? And I think in just like the ways that me and you have talked before, I think it's, it's, it's a yes. Like we're, this is the theme we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And that it's God is using, God is doing it. It's his power. Um, but he is executing it through his people and using using them as his intercessors, uh, as this go-between. And so um, I just think it's fascinating. You don't see, say, you know, Yahweh say, I'm stretching out my hand. Instead, he tells Aaron to do it. And you're supposed to tie that. And be like, oh, Aaron is doing what Yahweh said that he was going to do, and so Yahweh's doing it; he's just doing it through Aaron, uh, and I and I think that that's that's really cool. Um, so, um, what do you what do you make of the magicians this time? I mean, these silly little magicians. <laughs> I mean, they they're making more frogs, and I mean, I just like I can't imagine what Pharaoh is thinking. Um, just like okay. Did we not learn our lesson with the blood? Don't want you to make more blood. <laughs> right. We don't so need more blood. Yes. Now I don't need you to make more frogs. I have a huge frog let's, problem. Let's Stop making make, more frogs. Let's not make the frog problem. This work. just doesn't make sense. You idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Stop making more frogs. Which is what made me think. What was the movie I thought of? Oh, uh, 101 Dalmatians. He, yeah. Cor- uh, Cor- 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 C
the robbers that she has taken the puppies. She She's like, you idiots. Yes. And so that's kind of what I'm thinking of is happening here. It's just like, you guys are just morons. Like, right. Stop making more frogs. We get it. You can do cool stuff too. You know, stop making the problems worse. Yeah. And it's almost like whenever Pharaoh sees them make more frogs instead of getting rid of the frogs... I think that's whenever he realizes, or at least uh, for a short time, realizes the only thing that can get me out of this is Yahweh. Um, That these idiots are just making this worse. Uh, And so it's almost like seeing that happen is what makes him actually go go to Moses and be like, okay, dude, the guys that work for me, they're complete idiots, and I don't know what to do with them. And they keep making more frogs, and I'm like, stop making frogs. So, can you please help me? (laughs) And so, like, I think what's interesting is, you know, you're pointing out that he's actually acknowledging um, that the only person, the only, the only way to fix this is to turn to God. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, this was something that I noticed when we were reading, um, that he's say, pray to Yahweh. Um, to take the frogs away from me. So he's recognizing now who there's a little bit of acknowledgement of who God is before um, earlier in the, in the, in the book, he's like, who is this Mm -hmm. God who would, you know, like he's kind of, you know, challenging his authority earlier on. And now he's recognizing, okay, he does have some, he does have authority over these frogs. Yeah, it, we've come a long way from being, who is Yahweh that I should know him, to Yahweh's the only thing that can help me right now. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so this is, Peter Enns writes this, uh, it may be that Pharaoh has recognized not only that God has the power to produce the frogs, but that only God has the power to get rid of them. Note that in the plague plague narratives, the cessation or the uh, the ending of the plagues is as much a sign of God's power as the plagues themselves. Pharaoh now ha- sees the great problem he has and goes to the only source of help, not his magi- magicians, but the God of Israel. And so you see him kind of coming to this realization. We're only two plagues in, mm-hmm. and he's coming to this realization the the only person that can actually the only being that can actually help me in this situation is Yahweh and he and he goes to Moses goes groveling to Moses um and he asks him to help and and Moses leave it, it specifically it's like I leave the honor uh over me I, I leave to you the honor over me I give you the opportunity to decide when this ends he he gives him honor mm-hmm and that is just so wild. Right here, um, in the middle of the Torah, we have somebody you know that has been wronged and been thrown out of Pharaoh's courts, laughed at, and been the punchline for quite a few chapters. And now, all of a sudden, he's returning this evil that was done to him with honor mm-hmm. for Pharaoh. And and I think that's just so. That's such a cool move. Uh, by by Moses that he's saying I'm leaving you the honor to deciding when this ends I'm not going to be the one I'm not just going to step on your toes you decide when's it going to be yeah and and Pharaoh makes the decision tomorrow and it's pointed it's like I'm I'm basically it's the pick a card any card it, it gives him 
agency in uh, deciding when, and then through that decision, also proving that Yahweh is the one that stops it. Yeah. Um, and so he, he gives him honor, gives him that place to decide. And so he decides tomorrow, and then he's like, oh, it happened. You know, let it be according to your word so that you will know that there is no one like Yahweh. Um, and I think that's a really cool phrase. This is verse 10. And he, he said, tomorrow. And then he said, let it be according to your word so that you will know or so that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh. And I, I want to highlight that just briefly. Um, if you want to, if you're able to turn to Mark chapter 2. And <clears throat> in Mark chapter 2, Mark makes a very um, subtle echo of that verse. Um, and it's whenever Jesus is healing this paralytic, and many of you will probably know this story, but Jesus, um, he's being challenged by the authorities and being like, and they say, uh, you know, Jesus tells this person, child, your sins are forgiven, and they start challenging him. And they say, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who is able to forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were reasoning like this within themselves and said to them, why are you considering these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and pick up your stretcher and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on, he uh, authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go to your home. And, and he got up immediately and immediately picked up his stretcher and went out in front of them all so that they were amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And so I think it's very, uh, the way that Jesus speaks is very much in line with what's happening here. These plagues are the, so that Pharaoh may know who Yahweh is. And just the same, Jesus is repeating this so that you may know who he is. Um, and he's in the place of Yahweh. Only Yahweh can forgive sins. And so he's very much being put in this place and so that you may know. And I just think that's a really cool, really cool echo and uh, and something that, that Mark knows that any good Jewish reader would would maybe pick up on. And and so um, I, I, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. The other thing that I think is cool about this section <clears throat> is um, all of a sudden I feel like Moses's his character kind of takes a turn of all of a sudden he is like freely speaking mm -hmm. on behalf of God. Um, and, you know, earlier it was just like he kept asking, but I don't speak well, but I don't speak well. And then now here he is like confidently saying, like, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you in your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. Um, and, and to just speak with such confidence without, like, there's no record here of him being like, let me go back and check with God, see what we can do. Yeah. Um, like, he's he just seems a lot more confident now than he did before. Yeah. And um, it kind of goes back to what Garrett <clears throat> was saying about... Um, you know, Aaron stretching out his hand over the water, um, how that, like, is that really God working, you know, working through Aaron in the same way God had already told Moses, I'll be your mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like 
I, I feel kind of like Moses would have been, like, up until this point, it felt like Moses kind of felt like how I sometimes feel when, just like even on the podcast, where I kind of, like, give Garrett a look like, hey, can you uh, take over for the speaking? Because I mm-hmm. have no idea what where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, and how, you know, then Aaron would, like, step in or whatever. But now it's like he's just speaking confidently and he doesn't feel like he... I don't feel like he's, um, like, using Aaron as much. Right. So, and, and we're going to see Aaron kind of fade into the background. Where we thought that Aaron was going to be, like, the spokesperson throughout all of the plagues. From here on, he fades into the background. And he doesn't really do all that much. He's going to strike, you know, I think the first three plagues is the only time he really does something. So, oh, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, we're only on the second plague now. <clears throat> I mean, right. And so he's going to fade into the background, and Moses is all of a sudden going to come to the front. And it's like... Moses didn't think that he could do these things. And right. now all of a sudden, it's just like he's getting this confidence in Yahweh. And Yahweh is working through him. And it's own, it, like he didn't think that he could. But now all of a sudden, he is. And it's very much I like just, Peter, you know. But, I wonder, too, though, like how much of an impact it would have made on Moses to see the Nile River turn to blood. Like if that was just like a turning point for him in terms of confidence. Sure. Of like to be able to see what God was able to do there of being just like, oh, okay, like he's really, he's got our back. This is really it. We're really like, because earlier it was like, you said you were going to do something, but you're not doing it. Well, now he's just turned the river into blood. So yeah, <laughs> like a pretty substantial uh, thing has happened. And so I just kind of wonder if that kind of helped move Moses into a more confident, faithful, like trusting place with God. Yeah. And so um, Peter ends writes this about the about uh, the I guess the transition of Moses kind of coming to the to the front. It says God's he says God's choice of a messenger is a good one, despite feelings real or feigned of his own inadequacies. God, like a father, takes Moses by the hand at first and says, "Okay, okay, don't worry, I'll have Aaron help you." But like a father who knows his own son's abilities better than the son himself, God nudges Moses into the very situation he fears most. In all this, it becomes apparent how fully in control God is of bringing Israel out of Egypt. He, he has his way with Pharaoh and Moses to harden the one but to build up the other. And I, I just love this idea of that, like God knowing the abilities of his children and when we don't even know them ourselves and that we, you know, like that he's, he's kind of, he's pushing them forward and pushing Moses forward, seeing the truth of who he is whenever he can't even see it on his own. And so there's, there's definitely truths of us that, I mean, whenever we're called a child of God, that we're uh, a, a, a royal priesthood, I think sometimes we we really like we we want to concentrate on that sinful nature aspect of us that we're like oh you know but I'm only you know we'll say quote I'm only human or whatever like we discussed I think last mm-hmm. time and we concentrate on that but we don't listen to the truth of what's being told to us is that no you are a chosen people a royal priesthood you know and and I I have I have chosen you and I've called you out and you you're now my people and. You know, my spirit is in you. I'll be your mouthpiece. And the the words of Christ of saying, whenever you don't know what to say, I you know, the spirit's gonna guide you, the spirit's gonna tell you what to say. 
And we doubt ourselves in that so much. And, you know, as, as, you know, as spirit filled, um, humans of a a new humanity, we, I think we're called to kind of, to start moving in this direction to try to, to put ourselves out there and let, and let God speak on our, you know, through us. And, uh, but even though we, we, we doubt ourselves continually the way that Moses has already. Mm -hmm. And now we just start seeing more and more of that come out of, come out of Moses and his trust in God. Um, so this, this section ends, um, did you have any other thoughts before we talk about his heart? No. Okay. So this section ends with, um, you know, Pharaoh saw that there was relief and he made his heart insensitive or he made his heart hard or heavy and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken. And so he goes back on his word, you know, and he, he, he's like grateful that the consequences have been lifted, but yet he is unresponsive to it afterwards. And, I know that me and you like considering like we can see this in our in our own kids, you know, we can see this in Caleb where it's like once you once the consequences are gone from from in front of you, then you like kind of revert back to the way that you were and you're like like this grace that's been extended to him, he's not appreciative of it and so then he moves he moves back into the the shadows i guess and and hardens his heart and says like well you know maybe it won't happen it probably won't happen again mm-hmm. and and i don't know i i i see that this it's a very childish thing where it's like yeah you you you've seen the punishment but now that you're outside of the punishment you feel like you can do it all over again and yeah kinda... what makes you think he's that nothing else is going to happen now right right <laughs> um but yeah we kind of talked about how you know, we've we've talked before on the podcast about how sometimes we forget how God has been faithful to us. And we talk about how the Israelites forget and will continue to forget how God has been faithful to them. And this, to me, is kind of the flip side of, mm-hmm. like, God is kind of pouring out these, pl- these plagues on them. And how quickly Pharaoh forgets, like, how powerful God has just shown he is. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what makes you think you can just lie to him and that okay, everything's cool. We we're gonna we're gonna stop there, you know. Right. Um, so that's just kind of interesting. Yeah, and so and then he made he made his heart insensitive. So this is something that Pharaoh seems to be doing to himself, although Yahweh kind of knew that this was coming. Right. Um, so that that seems to be what what's highlighted here. So. Um, and then now they just have stinky, stinky land. So we had a, we had stinky river. Now we've got a stinky land and a bunch of piled up carcasses of frogs. That sounds like a great time. Yeah. Great time. Um, okay. So I'm going to pick up, uh, in verse 16 and Yahweh said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the land and it will become gnats in all of the land of Egypt. And he did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and he struck the dust of the land and it became gnats on the humans and on the animals. All of the dust of the land became gnats in all of the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their secret arts to bring about the gnats, bring out the gnats, but they were not able. And the gnats were on the humans and on the animals. And the magician said to Pharaoh, it is the finger of God. But the heart of Pharaoh was hard, and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken. 
So what are your what are your thoughts on this section? So this starts out uh, kind of differently. It feels like we're skipping over what the other the other two have kind of done. It doesn't like put as many details out there. I guess it's mm-hmm. just here we go. Um, but obviously, like I don't know if you want to go to any details as far as the top because I was going to skip down to the magicians. <laughs> oh well, we can go ahead and do the magicians. Um, yeah. because. The difference here, and when we first read this, this was what immediately stuck out to me, is that they could not produce the gnats. And I thought, wow, it seems like it'd be easier to produce gnats than <laughs> than frogs. Um, but then I thought, these silly little magicians, they're <laughs> trying, they did try to produce more gnats. Like, yes. guys, get it together. <laughs> like, stop. Right. Stop trying to make the problems worse. So even though they were unsuccessful, it's like, really? You were still... They just continue in their stupidity. Yeah. Yes. So it's just like a, another layer of God being able to show his power over the Egyptians and right. over these magicians. Um, and I don't know if they're just super arrogant or like what the deal is of why they keep trying because you would think they would have I, I think it's just now. to be like hey, look it's not such a big big deal that you made frogs we can make frogs uh it's not such a big deal that you turned it into blood we can turn right. water into blood I, I think it's to say that they're trying to be like it's not that big a deal but then again they can't undo it either right and so that that seems to be the point and now it's gotten to the point where they can't even redo what Yahweh's doing yeah and and so I I that I think is the point in this short little section of that they're not able to now. Now they're not even able to recreate Yahweh mm-hmm. Yahweh's work, um, and they recognize that this is something outside themselves that they can't that they can't deal with. Yeah. So that's that's the other part that I thought was because up until we get to the magicians, everything else is pretty much the same as far mm-hmm. as like stretching Aaron stretching out his hand and kind of things that we've already talked about. Um, But I thought it was interesting that the magicians, in verse 19, the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And the word God there is Elohim. Elohim. Yes. And so they are not referring to God as Yahweh, which we talked about in a previous podcast is like knowing somebody on a deeper level and knowing their, knowing a, almost like knowing their nickname in a way, but right. like just knowing somebody on a deeper level right. of like, yeah, not everybody would know somebody's nickname, but they would, if you were close to somebody and, and really knew someone, you would know this name. Um, and so they are just, it seems like they're not really as far along as Pharaoh is in, right. in recognizing who is responsible and who is able to take these things away. Yeah. Um, and so I just thought that that was really interesting. Yeah, they seem to be getting closer to the realization of knowing God, mm-hmm. knowing Yahweh. That who is Yahweh that I should know Him? They're getting closer to it. They're not to that point yet. Um, it you know the magi- This is Peter ends again. The magicians recognize that they are in over their heads, confessing this is the finger of God. The Hebrew is somewhat ambiguous. However, that's what we're talking about with the Elohim. Um, it may simply mean this is the finger of a God. In other words, this is not necessarily a confession on their part that Yahweh has done this. Rather, they may simply be saying, this is too big for us, or this is no trick. In any event, the plague 
um, does represent a movement toward recognition of Yahweh as the mighty God, which is, in the words of the Exodus narrative itself, one of the central purposes uh, for the plagues. The irony is that this movement towards recognition, at least on Pharaoh's part, is what God, by his sovereignty, ultimately impedes. And so what all of that just to say, they're moving towards um, knowing Yahweh fully. They still haven't reached that that connection point for whatever reason, even though this is like Moses keeps saying Yahweh is going to do this and and whatever. Um, and so they just still haven't made that. I, I think it it's probably goes along with the idea of Roman centurion sitting at the cross, you know, and they he sees what's transpired and he says, Surely this was the Son of God. Um that that again, that's somewhat ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um and what 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 does that mean? And what does that mean to a centurion? And because they have lots of gods. Um you know, there there's a whole pantheon of gods in in their worldview. And so what what exactly does that mean? At the very least, it means that they're moving towards recognition of who Jesus is in the in the idea of the centurion and who who Yahweh is in the in the point of these magicians that they're coming closer to knowing the truth uh, of what's in front of them. Yeah, uh, I I like. I mean, again, we end this section with Pharaoh's heart being hard and that he would not listen. And to me, I can just feel this build the building, this building. We're having a hard time with words tonight. <laughs> words are hard. Um, <clears throat> building frustration from Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just like feel it when you read this of just how frustrating this must be to have the people around you. You just feel like mm-hmm. that they're not smart. <laughs> Right, and you feel power- you're supposed to be the most powerful one in the land, and right. you can't do anything about it. And just feeling kind of helpless and just frustrated, annoyed. Yeah, I, I mean- think about Nat. So if if you ever played baseball, uh, like a good after a decent rain, you know, if you played like right field or whatever, and you're you're the kid like me that you know that they stuck out there because they knew the ball would never go there, and but. If there's like a, a if it's gotten puddled up over time and there's these just annoying gnats that are just are continually around your face and you can't move like you're supposed to just stand there. Put your hands <laughs> in the air. They're super annoying. What? Put your hands in the air. Well, you know, there's supposedly gnats go to like the highest oh. part of your body. So I'm just imagining like Egyptians oh. walking around like, okay, yeah. let's go to our hands. I had I never knew that. I just stood out there and took it. Oh, well. Okay, I'm gonna whenever I whenever I'm running. And you get like gnats get in your face. I'm just going to start running with my hands in the air. I think that's true. Either that or somebody lied to me. I don't know. Maybe I just learned something. Oh, just try it. (laughs) Throw your hands in the air. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, um, (laughs) I don't even know what we were talking about now. I don't know. But anyways, so, you know, he's he's getting frustrated with this. um, and uh, and he he has nothing. It just seems like there's there's nothing that he can do about it. I, I'll talk about two things before we um, we move on to this next section. Um, I, I I I'm fascinated by the dust. Um, it's highlighted here. Dust in this sense represents death. Um, these gnats are more than a nagging discomfort. So it's it's further than what I'm talking about. Standing in the middle of a field or whatever and being. Uh, bothered by gnats, they are a sign of human mortality. The dust 
to which all flesh must return becomes an instrument that speeds the Egyptians on towards the uh, the end, uh, the one that they can't escape. Um, again, thinking about backwards, reading backwards into Genesis chapter 3, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so whenever things with dust come up, that I feel like that should come to mind. To dust you were, dust is what you came from, dust is what you're going to return to. And so I, I'm fascinated by that, you know, that potential tie. Um, the, the, the other thing I want to talk about is the structure. So we talked about how this is a really short section. There's, not a, there's no forewarning or anything like that. It's just that he tells Moses, go do this. And so there's a, there's a pattern to this. Um, and so if, if you go through it, you'll realize that um, and you pay attention to the, the first the first in each of the series, there's three sets of or three sets of three, and then a climax, which is the the death of the firstborn. Um, but the for each set of three, there's a the first p- plague of each of those sets of three. So number one, number four, and number seven, each of those has a forewarning, and it's done in the morning. It's a it's a pattern done in the morning, and they tell he's told to station yourself. Relative to Pharaoh. So he's like, hey, go down to the river, station yourself. Pharaoh's going to come down. Okay. So first, fourth, and seventh are tied together. Second, fifth, and eighth, they all come with a forewarning as well, but there's no time of the warning. And they're just told, quote, go to Pharaoh. So they go to Pharaoh as opposed to stationing yourself where Pharaoh is going to be. Go to Pharaoh. And then the third, sixth, and ninth, there's no forewarning. There's no time of the warning, and there's no instruction formula. It just happens. They just go do it. And so each of these is very specifically structured um, in, in how it, you know, it's, it's climaxing to, um, to the 10th plague. And so I think that what we're supposed to kind of get out of this is like this cycle of judgment that's coming on him. Um, Peter Enns writes, these cycles hits Pharaoh, hit Pharaoh like regular, unrelenting waves of judgment. The last plague in each series is a final quick blow following upon the heels of, of the king's stubbornness. So he's been stubborn, and he, there's just like this last blow that comes upon him uh, with the, 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 uh, the gnats, the boils, and the darkness. And so there's a very specific literary structure to it. And and I think it's something that we that we should probably, you know, pay attention to and maybe you know spend a little bit more time on sometimes and say like why 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 do this? It's it's not just straight straight up history. It's it's organized and it's it is um, a literary art form um, that's put in front of you. Something very specific and and done uh, so that we can that we can study it at a deeper level. So I I think that that's that's important for us to note. So you want to you read this last section? All right. Um, starting in verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even on the ground where they are. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Go- Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there. 
so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. And throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice your God here in the land. But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go, go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only be sure that Pharaoh does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time, Pharaoh also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Yeah, so again, we have the first set of the second series, and we we're, we start off just like I was talking about. Start early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Look, he's going out to the water. We've seen this before. Mm-hmm. This is all something that we that happened at, at the at the Nile. And again, thus says Yahweh, release my people so that they may serve me. And we get this re- repetition. Um, and the consequence that there's going to be flies that that come throughout the land and, you know, tear up the land. Um, but th- there's something different with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you, do you remember what it is? Uh, so this time, God is separating it to where this plague does not impact the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, up until this point, the gnats and the, and the blood and the frogs have all affected the Israelites at just as much as it's affected the Egyptians. So this is just like another layer added, um, revealing God's power. Uh-huh. And also, yeah, and it's specifically Yahweh because it's sparing his own people. Yeah. Right? And so it's like, again, yeah, it's just adding one piece at a time of like, here's how I'm proving that this is me. And again, you get that repetition. But on the day that I will distinguish the land of Goshen, uh, that's the land that they were given whenever Joseph was offered the best land in Egypt. So they're living in Goshen, where my people are staying. Uh, by there being, uh, by there not being any flies there, so that you will know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the land. And he's saying too that this isn't, you know, this isn't your land. I dwell here, too. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I'm not a stranger in this land. This is my land, too. And so, you know, you might you might think that if you withhold, you get them to withhold worship from me, that somehow you're taking my power. No, 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 no. This is, this is my place. Mm-hmm. And this is my, this is my creation. Look, all of this destruction that's being carried on from you, from creation, the reason is, is because it's under my will. It's not under your will. It's under my will. And... So I think, you know, he's, it. it's again, just more power moves to show like, this isn't your land, this is my land, and I'll do what I will. 
and you need to come around to seeing who I am so that you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the land. Uh, and so he makes a distinction between the people and, you know, and so his, his people are spared from it and here, you know, and here come the flies. So I think in this section too, as we, as we move into where Pharaoh is now trying to negotiate with Moses and ultimately with God of, you know, well, just do it. How about you just sacrifice to your God in here in Egypt? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's like, for a guy who thought he couldn't speak well, he is really handling this conversation with Pharaoh really uh, like with a lot of wisdom and I don't know, just actually being able to use his words well, it seems like. Absolutely. And I just think that th- this is just like, this whole chapter to me has been like, wow, Moses, like, you really, I'm really, really impressed. Yeah, you're really coming into your own, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, and, and again, the point being that we're supposed to be seeing that Yahweh is speaking through him. Right. Because he doesn't, he doesn't think that he can do this, and yet he is. It's in his weakness that God's power is shown. And, yeah, and so he's doing this word sparring match, match with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's trying to be sly with him. And he's like, well, you know, maybe... I think what's happening is he's saying maybe if they make sacrifices, my people will see them making sacrifices and they'll take care of them mm-hmm. uh, because they're going to be, they're going to see that these to them detestable sacrifices to Yahweh, who's not their, you know, not the God of the Egyptians and they'll stone them instead. And so Moses is working the room and being like, dude, I'm on to you. I figured you out. Right. And we're not going to do that here because your people are going to stone us. And so, no, let us go out to the wilderness and worship our God. That's the deal. That's all we've asked for. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. And and he's still being, uh, you know, very, very stubborn um, in, in allowing that to happen. Um, and it seems like he, like he gives into it. Um, he plays coy and he's like, you know, I myself will release you and you will sacrifice to Yahweh, your God in the desert. Only surely you must not go far. Pray for me. And, and that's just such an interesting thing, um, to see from Pharaoh. Again, we're, you know, we're only at plague four of the 10, Mm -hmm. right? And you, and you get this phrase, pray for me from Pharaoh and you can kind of feel his fragility, in it and kind of his defeated feeling, I guess, and that he is is now seeking out Moses and asking him to pray for him. And and Moses concedes and he says, okay, you know? Well, yeah, and that's the interesting thing too is like Moses compromises with him and ultimately he still doesn't even, like, it's basically they've agreed to like even reduced what they've already asked for. And it's still like, it's going to be a no. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I think I want to, you know, is the idea of praying for your enemies, the first, like something innovative of Jesus, you know, is that mm-hmm. something that he, he comes up with without searching his scriptures and seeing it? Um, it may be that his people, you know, that the people of Israel at his time for the first time saw it. Um, but I think that he's seeing this representative of Yahweh interceding with his with his enemy 
on behalf of Yahweh or uh, like interceding with Yahweh on behalf of the enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, that he's praying for his enemies and blessing those who persecute him. Yeah. And that's what Moses is doing. And Jesus is is picking up on that and saying, you've, you've heard it said, you know, hate your enemies. But I tell you, which is not something that's in the Torah, by the way, you know, hate your enemies, not in the Torah. It's something that they assume um, whenever it's like, you know, love your neighbor. And it's like, well, we hate our enemies, you know, because it doesn't say not to hate our enemies. He says, you've heard it said, hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Like, this is this is coming from his Torah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is coming from his instruction and his this example that's placed placed there from Moses is what it, what does it look like to be a representative of Yahweh? It means interceding for your enemies whenever they come and they say, listen, I've really screwed up and I Yahweh is the only thing that I can turn to please pray for me. And he says, okay, I'm going to go to him for you and I will pray to Yahweh so that the flies will depart from Pharaoh. Are we, you know, are we willing to do that for the one that's persecuting us and keeping us down? And I mean, I, I just hear so much hatred all the time. I mean, every day right now, it, you, you just see it where, you know, people are, are fighting back against things that they you know that are maybe oppressive right now and feel like they're you know fighting for 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 what's right and you know I I just want to say like you know this is this is the way that they dealt with it I mean it's like Moses is dealing with it um with with Pharaoh he's he's relying on God letting God do his work and he whenever Pharaoh his enemy his arch nemesis in the story says, pray for me. He says, okay, you know, I'll pray for you. And I, I want, I want you to, to, for, for Yahweh to relent and for you to come to know him more. And, um, and so I, I just wonder like, why are, are, are we doing that? And, and also I just think it's really cool that, um, we see this in the Torah whenever we, I think we kind of build this up in our head, like, oh, this is a first time thing that Jesus is kind of coming up with. And I just don't know that it is. I think he's reading his scriptures and coming to know, you know, who like who he's supposed to be and Yahweh and his care and Yahweh's character, and then he's emulating that. And he's saying this is this is who Yahweh is, of uh, one that um that looks in the at the interceder and says, You pray for that person and I'll relent. You know, and and that and that's what ends up happening. Mm-hmm.